This is the word of the Lord. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to, to speed Zenas, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And we end there at verse 15, and we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Well, folks, this morning, uh, as we uh, finish up this walk through, uh, through Titus that uh, we have been uh, journeying with, uh, with Scott through over the last few weeks, uh, the last four verses are, are not maybe a passage that I would have particularly, you know, if, if you, you'd given me my choice. Uh, it's not for four verses that maybe you would, uh, you would, you would pluck uh, in, in terms of writing a sermon. Um, but I think there's, even in just these four short verses, uh, there's a lot uh, that, we can, that we can think upon. Uh, and, and really, actually, from those four, the, my first reaction, and I have to say as I read it out loud, uh, you realize when you stand up here that I've been reading that a, a lot of times this week, but I've never, uh, but not out loud, and suddenly you have to pronounce some of those names, and you're taking, yeah, Tychicus? No idea. Maybe, maybe you know better than I did. Um, but actually, this is one of those verses that, uh, that I want to kind of zero in on. Uh, and it's really verse 14 there. Uh, so chapter 3, verse 14, which says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And so that's really uh, what I want us to think about this morning, uh, this question of devoting ourselves, devotion. Uh, I was looking for a definition uh, of, of that, and I came upon this rather, rather odd illustration online this week. It says, if you feel loyal and loving towards someone or something, that's devotion. This is where it gets odd. If your devotion to your pet hamster truly knows, knows, knows no limits, you might splurge on a solid gold hamster wheel. Now, why, why the person who wanted to explain what devotion was went there, uh, devotion to a hamster. Perhaps they have uh, their own, which has a special place in their heart. I don't know. Um, but here at, at the finale of Paul's letter to Titus, as I say, he, he gives some practical instructions and requests. Uh, and we're not going to worry too much about those, about the names that I couldn't pronounce. But then, as I just read, he exhorts Titus to lead the church to learn to devote themselves to good works. Devotion is love, loyalty, and enthusiasm for a person uh, or maybe an activity. And we all have things which, uh, if I was to, uh, to look you in the eye this morning and ask, what are you uh, devoted to? There, there would be things that I would imagine would come straight to your mind. Uh, our, our spouses, our, our families, our children, certainly. Perhaps you are a, a devoted sports fan. Um, your career or your, your business, these are things which uh, can demand a level of devotion from us. Things that we don't allow other things to get in the way of. When there's a choice to make about what uh, gets our time, what we spend our money on, those things that we are devoted to uh, are the things which win. 
one of those things, however, uh, whatever it was that, that was maybe in your mind there, it struck me this week that devotion is not something that we normally need to learn. No one has to sit down and teach a new mother to put the needs of their baby first. It's instinctive. And to be devoted to those things that we enjoy, that give us pleasure, that comes naturally. Uh, we choose to devote our things uh, that please us, things that contribute to our passions and, and to our ambitions. But here, Paul says we, as God's people, must learn to devote ourselves to good works. And, and just to define that term, good works, I'm taking that to mean uh, any and all things that, that are done in service of Christ, uh, his kingdom, and his church. Now, my question is, is really why does Paul say that? And let's, let's be very clear. Uh, it's not because those good works will do anything to save us. Uh, as we've been talking about with the kids over the last few weeks, our, our justification um, is absolutely secure. Christ's work on the cross is sufficient. Um, if we pl have placed our trust in Christ, our good works can add nothing to our salvation. But I think why Paul says this is when we join the ranks of God's people, when we bow the knee, when we ask forgiveness and, and pledge our very lives to him, then we are called to adopt a completely different perspective on the world we live in and on our lives. If we were to remove Christ from that picture, then by all means, we should devote ourselves to, for example, our career, spend every waking moment building that business, chase after the dreams of uh, the big house, the big car, exotic vacations, whatever it might be. Give everything you've got to that because that would indeed, by the world standard, by anyone else's standards, that would be a successful life, a life well lived. But when we add Christ to the picture and when we shine the light of eternity onto our lives, then that kind of devotion is misplaced. The relatively short-term achievements of, of wealth and worldly success, whatever that looks like, none of that, of course, you're taking with you when your number is up. When you look back on your life in that scenario, that devotion, then it took the place of, and it, and it, it just pushed to one side Christ's call on your life to serve his kingdom. And in that light, what the world might well view as, as ultimate success is, in fact, nothing more than a pitiful, pitiful error. As God rebukes the man in, in the parable of the rich man who, who built his bigger barns and thought once he had that done that, uh, that he was set for life, he could eat and drink and be merry, he had all that he needed, then when his life was demanded from him, God said, you fool. Our instincts natural instincts are, are to vote to devote ourselves to things that will bring us pleasure in the here and now but here in Titus Paul says we must actively and consciously correct those instincts we must learn to view our lives and the world from God's perspective as a Christian uh, our primary drive cannot be to just chase the things that we want. 
things that we will imagine will bring us happiness in the here and now. Our primary drive is to serve the Lord who died to save us. But doesn't God have good plans for us? Isn't isn't it his will uh, that we should be happy and healthy and wealthy? He loves us, right? He does. But the answer is no. Not always. Not about his love. That is secure. But in terms of does he wish us to to always um, be skipping along in happy times? Not always. God's plan for you is to bring you to a glorious and happy eternity. But here on earth, and we know this, that for some of us, many of us even, at times following the Lord will involve walking through some some dark uh, and deeply unhappy times. You know, it struck me when we read the stories uh, of David in the Old Testament and we kind of place ourselves within it. Um, we really probably always think of ourselves as David, the hero king, the man after the Lord's own heart. We walk through his life story with him. But the truth is, friends, as we live out and, and play our part uh, in this big story of God's world and the path that he has set it upon, the truth is we may be the Uriah character who, despite being incredibly faithful to the Lord and his king, had his life on earth cut horribly short and was hacked down in battle. Now, don't hear me wrongly in that. Um, In no way do I want to make light of what it is to suffer or suggest that that God is indifferent to that. God cares deeply um, about our suffering. He looks on us with deep and and loving concern and compassion as we walk through that darkness. He will walk through it with us. He will uh, carry us through it uh, when perhaps we can't walk any further on our own. But he has not promised the faithful health or wealth or unadulterated happiness for our days here on earth. But again, what he has promised us is a glorious eternal future with him. So folks, the question for us this morning is what are we pursuing with devotion? And, and what is it that, that threatens us, sorry, that threatens to pull us away from the good work of following Christ? Because we have to identify that and then, again, we must consciously learn to put that to one side. When our instincts push us Maybe just subtly, but when they push us to devote ourselves to worldly things at the expense of serving him, again, we have to spot it, we have to catch hold of ourselves and say to our, uh, to our selfish self, be full. It was not for this world that you were saved. As many of you know, or if you've been around Eden Grove much at all, um, you could say I'm somewhat devoted to to my beloved Seattle Seahawks. And as you may or or may not know, uh, American football games happen uh, on Sundays. And unfortunately, uh, many of those kick off around 6 p.m. And that obviously leaves me with a decision to make. Um, And and as I share this, let me be absolutely clear. Uh, I am not in any way holding myself up as the the righteous guy at the front that has this uh, all sorted. As I've worked through this this week, let me absolutely assure you that I am preaching to myself 
as a, as a sinner whose devotion wavers uh, much too often from where it should be. Um, but in that scenario, I have to be honest and say, left to my own devices, um, with no accountability, probably uh, I would have been watching those games. It's not, not the worst thing. I don't think there's a, uh, a biblical, I don't, I, I don't believe, for example, that, that in itself would be sinful per se. But you know what, what really caught me in that or what really got me? And it shouldn't have been this. It should have been uh, uh, me going to the Lord and, and figuring that out with him and through prayer and all of this. But what caught me was Charlotte and Bethany. Because I realized if I skip church those four or five times a year to watch football, what am I, what am I teaching them? What's the example that I'm showing them? That the church, that the corporate worship, that that's important unless there's football on? Uh, the, the church is important enough that uh, for session and committee meetings and Bible study and junior saints in the basement and all of that, that, um, that I'm not there to do bedtime stories on a regular basis, but not as important as football. Um, and look, I continue to love the Seattle Seahawks and football from September to January and someday, hopefully, February if they make the Super Bowl. Uh, it brings me great joy and a lot of pleasure. It's not that the things that we enjoy uh, are bad or that we can't enjoy them. Many are a gift from God. It's a question of when we have to choose between our devotions. What's the pecking order? What wins? And it has to be Christ. It has to be his kingdom and his church. Now, as, as briefly at this point, the time, I think I'll be all right. Um, I do want to take kind of a very quick sidestep from this sermon and just kind of ask you um, to spend some time, uh, and not because of anything that I'm going to say, I'm, or not because I am asking you, or because Scott does or would, but can I ask you to spend some time, if this is your church home, and ask of God if on Sunday evenings you should be here. Now, look, Sunday evening is not the be-all and end-all, but ask of God, because we miss you, is what I'll say. Uh, the body suffers because many are choosing to remove yourselves from us together. What do I mean? I, th I think we would probably agree that if everyone here is a Christian gathered back into worship together on Sunday evenings, would that not be an encouragement uh, to each other? Would the church not be strengthened? Um, and if that's the case, if you can't displace your church, then I just want you to, to question. A lot of the time we make those decisions and that's our, we, we stop questioning it. We go Sunday morning, we just don't on Sunday and that's kind of the status quo. I just want you to, to ask you to spend some time and think about that and to pray and ask God, is that something where he would like you to be, um, especially over the next uh, few months. We're, we're trying out some new stuff. As you know, we've, we've changed the times to make that a bit more family-friendly. Scott uh, makes little worksheets for kids to work on uh, when they're here. Uh, Jim is even talking about eating pizza together beforehand. Uh, Nick will be continuing to lead us in worship on that. So we're looking at the format of that um, and really trying to make those things, that evening service, a real blessing, a thing to sort of send you out into your week 
Um, I personally, I love Sunday evenings. It's um, a bit quieter, a bit, I don't know. It's, it's been a blessing to me. Of course, there are reasons. You maybe have family commitments, uh, other things, and it's not an option for you. But if it is an option, I just want to ask you to, to think about it. Not because anyone's telling you you should be here. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. But ask of God. Um, as we go on this journey as a church family, is that something you could or maybe should uh, be part of? Like I said, we, we miss you. It's always slightly sad on Sunday evenings, first few pews, and then emptiness. Uh, we'd love it if you could join us. That's not, as I say, to say Sunday is the measure of your devotion. That's not what I'm talking about. But I just, I wanted to throw that out there, just at, especially at this stage when we're kind of looking at how we're doing that and what Sunday evenings could be. But if you're a parent this morning, like I said, it was, it was that example that I was setting for, for Charlotte and Bethany. Without you uh, directly sitting down and, and having the conversation or, or teaching it verbally, but just from watching your life. And this is a tough standard, folks. I, again, I'm, I'm speaking to myself. What would your kids say that you're devoted to? Not not to be morbid about it, but when they one day put you in the ground, when they're considering your epitaph, is that the word? What would they say? Mum or dad loved what? Because if that sentence doesn't finish with Jesus, then friends, we're doing it wrong. Uh, and we've invested our devotion in the wrong side of eternity. Where does that, where does that right devotion come from? came across this story this week. It said that Cyrus, as we all know, of course, was the founder of the Persian Empire, uh, but once he had captured a prince and his family, and when they came before him, the monarch asked the prisoner, what will you give me if I release you? The half of my wealth, was his reply. And if I release your children, everything I possess. And if I release your wife, your majesty, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by his devotion that he freed them all. And as they returned home, the prince said to his wife, My, wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? With a look of deep love for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. That right devotion, that work, talking about it comes when we lift our eyes from the things of this world things that look so good things that that may well give us joy and pleasure the things that would seduce us and we lift our eyes from that and instead look to the one who is willing to give himself for us this morning if our response or if your feeling is oh the message is that I, I need to go and work harder. Uh, or if we're like the rich young man who went away sad because Jesus told him to sell everything that he owned, we need to lift our eyes. If you lost everything you owned tomorrow, if you were to spend the rest of your days like our brothers and sisters in North Korea in a prison camp for the sake of Christ, the glories of heaven await. We have to realize the truth of where real treasure lies. You'd be exchanging the 
filthy rags of this world for treasure that will last for eternity. I read of a Russian Christian. He wrote this really about the American church, but I think we can group ourselves in as as the, the Western church. He said, in Russia, Christians are tested by hardship. But in America or, or here, you are tested by freedom. Testing by freedom is much harder. Nobody pressures you about your religion, so you relax. You're not so concerned or not so concentrated on Christ, on his teaching, and how he wants you to live. So do you pet, do you, do we, do I, do we pass that test of freedom that we have to put these things to one side? Are there situations when we just subtly, I'm not talking about denying Christ or, 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 or verbalizing that something is more important, but just subtly we, we push to one side things of God when it doesn't quite suit the other things that capture our devotion. It doesn't come naturally. We're sinners. And, that, and that's okay. Uh, we're sinners. It, it's not supposed to. But might we learn to devote ourselves to his service, to put our priorities in order so that when we do one day stand before him we meet him not looking back over our shoulder at what we left behind but we meet him as the one that we have been longing to meet the one that we have spent years serving with all our hearts might arriving in heaven be reaching the destination that we've been running hard to reach doesn't that sound better than, than a sidestep from a life of, of striving to get something else out of our life on earth? Because if we can do that, in my word, as Paul points out in verse 14 there, what a fruitful church we will be. Amen.